Well, good evening and welcome again to Sunday night service here at Moody Church. Tonight we are in week two of a five-part series studying the life of Noah in the book of Genesis. And so I'd encourage you right now to grab a Bible and open it to the book of Genesis. And tonight we're going to look at Genesis chapter 7. Genesis is the first book in the Bible. Genesis chapter 7 is where we are going to spend our time together tonight. Well, several years ago, my wife and I were out vacationing. We were in the rural state of Montana, a beautiful state. And we had gotten up early one morning and had quite a long drive ahead of us. So we beat most of the traffic, not that there was a lot of cars out in the road anyways. And we were headed through beautiful rural countryside two-lane roads. Now, if you know anything about driving in Montana, if you've ever been there, you know the speed limit is a little bit more than what it is certainly here in the city of Chicago. And if my memory serves me correct, we were going down a county road with the speed limit being 70 miles an hour on a two-lane road. And of course, 70, you know, if we're from Chicago, that's just kind of a suggestion on which to go. But what happens is you were going through these roads, then you would come into these tiny little towns where you would see a sign as you're going 70 or a little bit faster than 70. And you would see a sign, speed limit reduced ahead, and then just it seems like two seconds later assigned that speed limit down to 35 miles an hour. Well, like probably a lot of you, I didn't slam on my brakes. It was still quite early in the morning. There was no other traffic out. As I cruised into one of these towns, I simply just let my foot off the gas, hoping that eventually my momentum would slow down somewhere pretty close to the speed limit. Whereas I looked as I was just letting my foot off the gas behind me to see some sirens behind me, some lights flashing in my rearview mirror. And I realized, yeah, I'm going a lot faster than the speed limit is this moment. So I pulled off to the side of the road. My wife was sleeping, so I kind of had to shake her awake real quick. Like, um, I just got pulled over. I was going too fast. The police officer came up and he asked a few questions. He didn't recognize the Illinois license plate on my car as I had gone by. And he asked why we were driving so fast. And I just said, you know, I, I guess I didn't slow down fast enough. And he went back, took my license and registration, checked everything out, and then came back and said, well, thank you. Make sure to slow down next time when you get going into towns, but just have a nice day and have a safe drive. See, I knew that I had deserved a ticket. I was definitely going way over the speed limit when he pulled me over. But that police officer gave me something which we would call, he gave me or showed mercy toward me, which is this, I deserved something, but he gave, did not give me what I deserved. And that's what mercy means, is not giving to someone what they deserve. And tonight's story in the book of Genesis, we're going to look at mercies that God gives to Noah and that God gives to us in our world. See, Genesis 7 is a chapter about judgment. It's when the flood comes down on mankind. Yet in the midst of judgment of sin, we get glimpses of God's mercy throughout and so we're going to focus as we look at this story tonight on the mercies of God that present themselves throughout this chapter. So Genesis chapter 7, starting at verse 1, says this. Then the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. 
This phrase righteous had already been referred to, as we said last week in chapter six, again, bringing about this idea that Noah had a right relationship before God. And it wasn't something as if God saying this is why you're saved, but it's what sets him apart. And that he was a righteous man, meaning this, that the rest of the people around him were wicked and were deserving of judgment, that only Noah was righteous. Verse 2, take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens, also male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. So we have here clean and unclean animals. Sometimes we may think that this goes back to the eating requirements that were often listed in the Old Testament, but that comes later in the Old Testament. What they're actually referring to here with this idea of clean and unclean animals are those that are fit for sacrifices versus those which are not. And so Noah is to bring seven of some animals with him and others just a pair or two of them with him. Verse four, for in seven days, I will send rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights and every living thing that I have made, I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Now it's interesting in this passage that these uh, seven and forties keep coming up and it kind of happens a few different times that there's seven and that there's 40. And so we have these seven days that are coming and you're to bring seven pairs of animals. Seven is a number that finds itself repeated in scripture quite a bit. And it's this idea of completion. For instance, God created the world in seven days and it was complete and then he rested at the end of it. And this idea of being seven of one kind of animal means this, that it's a complete set of animals with him that represented all of creation. The idea that Noah would then be in the ark for a flood that would be coming for 40 straight days. 40 is also a number that finds itself repeated several times throughout scripture. It's interesting, Isaac and Esau were 40 years old when they were married. Moses went up to the mountain for 40 days when he received the law. The people after this wandered in the wilderness for 40 years after they had rejected the report of the spies who had gone into the promised land and those spies who went into the promised land had gone in for 40 days. We see this idea of 40 coming up over and over again in the Bible. Yet through this, that Noah is to bring animals to save not just himself, but to save all of the animal world with him. The word there is actually interesting in, in chapter 7. Verse three, where it talks about the offspring. Normally that word is reserved for humanity, but here it's referring to animals, meaning this, that that Noah is to keep all of creation alive with him while God keeps them through this. So Noah does what God commands him in verse five. Verse six says this, Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his son's wives were with him when he went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Of clean animals and of animals that are not clean and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. 
So said we're going to look at the mercies of God in the midst of this judgment that God is giving to the earth. And the first mercy of God that we see here as we look at this story today is this, is that God provides salvation. God provides salvation for his people. God provided salvation for Noah and for the entire animal kingdom in this example. See, God provided salvation in a very specific way. It starts kind of there, this phrase, go into the ark, and then it ends right at the end with, they went into the ark in verse 9. See, the ark, which God had instructed Noah to build, was the means by which Noah was to be saved. It's actually interesting, the New Testament picks up on this. In 1 Peter, the ark is seen as actually pointing to salvation that we have in Jesus and then following him through the waters of baptism. See, for Noah, there was only one way of salvation from the judgment of God, which was to come upon the earth. And that was through the ark which God provided. And it was a great mercy of God that in his kindness and goodness, that he provided a way for Noah and then for the animals alongside with him to be saved. But there was only one way that it was to happen. Many years ago, uh, it's actually interesting, I didn't remember this till right now, on the same trip that I was in Montana, I was also in Colorado. I guess I'm remembering a good vacation with you tonight. And I remember on that trip, I was hiking up in Rocky Mountain National Park and I was hiking towards a place called Long's Peak. And this is a long trail, many thousands of feet elevation. And the top mile and a half of this trail is actually not really a trail at all, but it's a climb through boulders that actually goes up several thousand feet to a peak that's over 14,000 feet. And as you kind of get to the end of the trail and you start scrambling through boulders, you head towards this first little section, which is called the keyhole. If this kind of looks small, just like for imagery, like that's like a normal sized person. This is a massive hole in rocks with huge boulders that you scramble up over to get to it. You kind of go through here and then you turn left and eventually you kind of scramble your way across to the next picture. You find yourself at the bottom of this section looking literally straight up. As you climb, I think it's well over a thousand vertical feet up. You're over 13,000 feet by this point. It's hard to breathe. You're tired. You've been moving for hours. As you have to find your way up, it's not a path. It's just a whole bunch of rocks. And there's this interesting thing that they have these signs pointed out at the beginning before you go on to this. This is a very dangerous route. Many people have actually lost their life trying to scramble and go through this route. But they say the key to doing it successfully is this. As they say, along the route, there's painted on rocks little red dots. And so with every step of the way, just look for the next red dot. And you can see here, this is at near the top looking down. There's a little red dot right here. And there's a little red dot right there. And as you keep walking down, you get to the red dot and you need to stop and look. And, and they, they emphasize this, that if you get off, if you think, oh, there's a red dot here, but it looks easier to that way, that you're putting your life at risk and you could be in very dangerous territory of getting yourself trapped or stuck or in very dangerous situation where you may slip and fall because you've wandered off the narrow marked path that they have put out for you. See, there was only one way up and down that mountain. And for Noah, there was only one way that he was going to be saved from the judgment that was coming on the earth and it's from, and it was through the ark. 
For us, there is only one way that we can be saved. Jesus is clear that our sin that we have, just like it was many years ago in this time for Noah, our sin brings upon us judgment that we rightfully deserve. But there is one way of salvation. God's not sending us a boat. We're not to build something. But he has sent someone through whom salvation can be had. That man was also God and his name is Jesus. And he came to this earth and he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, sometimes Christianity can be perceived as this very exclusive religion that like pushes aside other people and doesn't make a way for them to come. But we should marvel in the mercy of God in this, is that while we were deserving of sinners, that God did indeed make a way for us to be saved. While we are deserving of judgment, God made a way that we too can be saved. Just as it would have been ridiculous for Noah to try and fight with God. Well, God, now I don't want to get on the ark. I want to be saved some other way. So too, it is ridiculous for us when the almighty, holy, perfect, righteous God has made a way of salvation for us through Jesus Christ to try and complain. Well, why did you only make one way? What if I want to do it this way? What if I want to do do it this way? That would be ridiculous because it's a gift of mercy to us. God doesn't owe us salvation, but he provides it for us. And just as Noah could only be saved through the ark, for us today, the only way we can be saved is through Jesus Christ who delivers us from the judgment that we rightfully deserve because of the sin in our lives. So they're to get on the ark at the end of chapter seven, verse 10. Verse 11 starts like this. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month on the 17th day of the month. Now, this is quite oddly specific. A couple of reasons for this. Um, number one, back then they would often identify large events based on kind of how old someone was. Oftentimes it was in the Old Testament what year it was in a king's rule. Um, this is kind of before that time. And so they designate it on this time. Another reason is this, is that this is a historical event that really happened. This is not just some made up myth that, oh yeah, and Noah was a little bit older when this happened, but Noah knew the exact age that he was, that he could pass it on to generations to come, that this was the exact time. And it's sure that he knows this exact time because this is such a significant monumental event in the history of the world. Just how like now, When historical events happen, you can remember the time, the place, the location, certainly the age that you were at. Just this last week or just over a week ago, we we remembered the 19th anniversary of September 11th. And like most of you who are older, at least 25 years older, older, like you, like me, you know the exact time, the exact place you were at when you heard what was going on because it was a life-changing, world-altering event. Same for Noah, right? This is a world-altering event. So he remembers very specific details about it. So in this time, on that day, 
all the foundations of the great deep burst forth. Now, this is a particular phrase on the day or on that day. It occurs in the Old Testament when significant events are to happen, especially in Genesis and the book of Exodus, when Abraham and his family are circumcised, when the people receive the Passover and leave in Exodus out of the land of Egypt, when Moses dies and they're to go into the land, they're all signified by this phrase, which starts to cue us that now is the time for a world-altering, a huge event to take place. It says this, The fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened. And rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem and Ham and Japheth, and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons with them entered into the ark. They and every beast according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kinds, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him and the Lord shut him in. Now, this seems to us very redundant. It seems very redundant. Well, why does he keep saying like all of these pair by pair and he keeps listing like the things that crawl and the things that fly? Like to us, that seems redundant. But what, what the author is doing here is he's looking specifically at the categories of creation. Day five and day six, when these animals were made and then when mankind was made. And he's listing the categories like this by saying that just as these were created in days five and six of creation, so now God is saving them in this day of the flood. And it seems redundant, but he's emphasizing that God is saving the creation as he had indeed promised. And all of this happens. And I can just imagine the scene. It, it is hard to imagine, but I, I try to imagine what this must have looked like as Noah went out, but then certainly God supernaturally provided these animals to come, right? And I, I don't know what was going through Noah's mind when the day came to board. And he must have been like, well, I don't know how these things are going to come. I don't know how I'm supposed to get them. But God supernaturally superseded over it. And they all go in as Noah had prepared and as God provided him. And then there's this amazing thing that happens at the end. And God, the Lord, shuts him in. The Lord God shuts the door of the ark. See, the second mercy that we see here in this passage, the second mercy is that God protects his people. God protects his people. He had brought them all the way here, brought them into the ark. And then right at the end, God is the one who comes and he shuts the door of the ark. See, the language in this passage picks up on a lot of creation, as I had mentioned. And even then, they're right at the end of that, that verse. It's so interesting how it talks about how God had commanded him to do it. But then the word switches, it's a different word from God, and then it's the word the Lord shut him in. See, Lord is the covenantal name of God. The Lord is the God who is in covenant promissory relationship with his people. And it's this kind of God that was the one who did the final act of deliverance for Noah. See, as much as 
Noah's obedience is required in this story, as much as Noah's obedience is reinforced and highlighted regularly throughout, Noah is not saved without God's help. Noah is not saved without God's help and God's work. It would have been impossible for Noah to know what he needed to build if it were not God superimposing on him what he was, giving him the exact specifications of what he should do. Noah could not have saved him all the animals on his own strength. God had to work that to come about. And Noah could not have sealed himself in. That again was only a work that God could do. See, God protects his people. And the story is another reminder to us that God is the main actor when he saves us. God is the main actor in salvation. And just as Noah could not save himself, so too we cannot save ourselves. Noah was helpless in this judgment. It was God who had to protect and to save him. And just for us, we in our spiritual condition, the Bible says, aren't just weak. We aren't sick. We aren't infected. We are dead in our sin. We are helpless to help ourselves. We cannot do it on our own. We need help and God is the only one who can bring us back to life. God is the main actor in our salvation. That he is the one who goes down and provides and protects his people when they cannot do it themselves. And so the people, Noah, his family, his wife, his kids, their wives are on. The animals have come on board as well. The door is miraculously shut by the hand of God himself. And at the end of chapter seven here, it details for us this utter destruction that comes when the flood does indeed fall upon the earth. Genesis 7 verse 17 says this, the flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heavens were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits. That would be about 20 feet deep. Verse 21, and all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all screaming creatures that swarm on the earth. Swarming creatures, excuse me, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land and whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. That word all or everything occurs eight times in just this paragraph, this, this totality of destruction that God sent upon the earth to judge it of its wickedness. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth for 150 days. That is a scene of just utter destruction of what seemed to be utter chaos going on while Noah and the animals and his family are safely enclosed. Total destruction comes upon the entire earth. But the mercy of God that we see here in this is this. The third mercy of God is that God is faithful to his word. 
that God is a God who is faithful to his word. See, if you look back, if you have it in front of you at verse four, he promised that he indeed would judge the earth, that he would send rain for 40 days and 40 nights and that every living thing that he had made will be blotted out from the ground. And then it happens just as God said it would. See, as we mentioned last week briefly, but I want to come back to it again as we get on these specific events of the flood, that it seems here that, that the events, the natural reading here seems to be a worldwide flood that Noah is experiencing, that the whole earth is experiencing. As I mentioned, the word all and every occurs eight times in this passage. The great depth that is required to be over the mountains the length of the flood. He is, as we've seen here, it starts for 40 days and 40 nights of flooding. He was left in the waters for 150 days. The total time that he's in the boat is well over a year. Even a horrible local flood that we would experience now in parts of the earth, as I think of hurricanes that are hitting, have the devastation of nothing at all like this. The size of the ark that God had Noah built would have been awfully big if it was just a local flood. And the, that the ark was necessary. Like if it was just a local flood, God could have said, Noah, I need you to go somewhere else. I need you to send, to go this place, to travel to here, as he often did with the patriarchs of old. But no, the only way of salvation was through this ark, which he was to build. So God had promised the judgment would come and God is faithful to his word. And so it indeed did come. This story is a reminder to us that God does not bluff in his response to sin and wickedness. We serve a God who will not be mocked. And when he says he will judge sin and wickedness, he is not bluffing. He's not saying, I'm just going to talk that, but I'm actually not going to do it. No, God is faithful to his word. And when he says he will judge sin and wickedness, he will do it. He is faithful to what he says. And because he's faithful to what he says, we would be wise to adhere to his warnings. See, the flood narratives, this story of the destruction and judgment of the earth through water in the flood points to another coming judgment, another worldwide judgment, which is to come in the future, the return of Jesus. There's two times that Jesus looked at the flood of, of Noah's day and thought of how it paralleled to his return when he does indeed come back in the future that we look forward to one day. In the gospel of Luke, it says this, Jesus says, just as it was in the days of Noah, so will be in the days of the son of man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and be giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and all the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when, when they went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the son of man is revealed. Judgment is coming when Jesus returns. And he likens this judgment that we are to see a worldwide judgment that comes quickly and suddenly, even when we're not expecting it, as just as the flood came over the whole 
world. Jesus also mentioned this in the gospel of Matthew. He says this, for as, for as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the son of man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the son of man. So what should our response be? Therefore, stay awake for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Therefore, you also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. See, judgment came on the earth through the flood. Judgment for sin. And Jesus twice looks at this story that we've looked at tonight and says, that's how it will be. It will be like this as in the days of Noah when he returns again. So what is his command? Well, what was Jesus saying to us in light of looking at Noah and the flood and looking at his return? He says this, be awake, be alert, be ready. Be ready for his coming. See, God judges sin. In his mercy, he has provided a way of salvation through him alone. But God is faithful to his word. And Jesus has promised that he will return to this earth. And that when he returns, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So my question to you tonight is this. Will you be ready for that time? We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So will you be ready? Will you be one who is finding your salvation in God and God alone? Who through Jesus Christ is carrying you through the trials and tribulations of sin. That you don't longer have to face the judgment of sin on your own because you are held safe from it because you are in him. Because if you are not walking with Jesus, if you do not have a relationship with him, then this judgment that will come upon you is just like and will be worse than the judgment that came upon the world because of the wickedness that they did in the days of Noah. It's a mercy of God that we know he is faithful to his word and he has promised that he's coming again. It's easy for us to put that off, to not think about it. And it's really easy to not live in light of that fact, to get distracted with the news, with the updates of the world, with the things going on in our personal lives, with family, with work. It's really easy for our lives to be filled with things, sometimes even good things. But I just want us to remind ourselves tonight that, that Jesus is coming again. And he commands those who are followers of him to live in light of that. That if he were to come tonight, if he were to come tomorrow, are we living our lives in such a way that we're ready for his return? Are we living lives to be alert, to be awake for the coming of Jesus Christ? God, we thank you that in the midst of a passage where we see so much judgment, we also see the mercy of God. A God who saves people. A God who provides and protects them by shutting the door of the ark and a God who is faithful to what he has said. God, may we take seriously the commands of scripture and may we live in light of that today.
God, and if there's things in our lives that are causing us to not be ready, may we deal with those as you would lay them on our hearts. God, and if we're not ready for your return because we're not in relationship with you, we haven't experienced salvation in Jesus alone. God, may today be the day of salvation. May we place our faith in you alone, for you alone can save us from the judgment of sin that is to come. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.